Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me, it's Derek Specht. Yeah, hello. What's happening, Derek? Not much, not much. I just, uh, one of the things that was in my head is before we were recording, I was thinking, uh, this week in history. So This week, there's lots of things happening in history this week. Yep, and so, first one, which doesn't really apply to the podcast, but yeah, this week in history in 1969 was Woodstock. I was 10 months old, yeah. and my parents wouldn't let me go. So I was going to sneak out, but the bars in my crib were too high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this week, 54 years ago yeah. was Woodstock. Crazy, eh? Yeah, that's something, eh? Yasger's Farm down in, was it Bethel? Yes. Bethel, yeah. New York? Yeah. yeah. Four hundred Over 400,000 people. That's Just nuts. showing up. They had no idea. They were, they just wanted- Yellow, yellow, and listen to music. The four guys who organized that, all they were trying to do was raise enough money to-, to buy and build a, a sound studio. Mm-hmm. So all they're trying to do, they just want a sound studio and it became this epic generational. Right? Yeah. I mean, it was huge. As, yeah. I mean, we're, I know people that were there. The names he, they got, like yeah. it's it just, it's amazing yeah. who they got. I, I've worked with a few people and they were actually at, and one, a couple of you, you could tell that, and they were, they're still in Woodstock. <laughs> to this day, they're still in Woodstock. I'll just leave you that. But have you yeah, ever left? Yeah. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's at Woodstock. Yeah. You're still here, buddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give me those brownies back. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they were, they, they talk about going and, you know, how rough it was and the things that had happened and, you know, with all the rain and trying to get in, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and people breaking down the fences and, and just crazy. But the music part and all that yeah. is just awesome. To have been a part, part of, that, of that, to have participated is just epic. I blame my parents for not letting me go. <laughs> What's wrong with a 10-month-old? What's wrong ten with a 10-month-old there? Go I would have been... Sitting on the side of the highway hitching. But... 13, 14, 15 months old. See? We could have hooked up along the way and... No, you would have been over 10 months. No. Oh, October. I went October. October. Yeah. yeah. October 68. Mm-hmm. Right? And you're earlier. June 68. See? You could have picked me up on the way. <laughs> I could have. Yeah. Hey, can we make a stop at my buddy's house? We're heading to New York State. That was back in the day when you didn't need a passport. I know, right? <laughs> Man, ah. things would have been so things would have been so much easier back then. You hear stories back then of people coming up from the states to go canoeing in Algonquin Park. Well, the Scarlet Brothers—they yeah. they never they just cruised they just up. It was their favorite the place in the world up in Algonquin Park. Yeah. They're from Pennsylvania, oh, no, no, New York, New York State. State, New just, York State. Yeah, just over from again. Uh, so yeah, they just rolled across the border, heading going camping. Who cares, right? Yeah, a lot of people did. I mean, yeah. a lot of a lot of people came up from the states to mm-hmm. go to Algonquin. Yeah, you know, but. So that's 54 years old, Mm -hmm. and it is also 20 years years. since the big blackout of 2003. Yeah, Yeah. this week as well. And the Americans were blaming the Canadians. The Canadians going, "What are you talking about?" So (laughs) there was a lot of people coming back from canoe trips and stuff, and yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going on? What happened? Yeah, because people are recovering from from you know the blackout and and whatnot. The day I the day it happened, I was on Lake Simcoe fishing. Mm All day. Yeah, you wouldn't have noticed. Came well, out it was four and, ten in the afternoon. So well it came yeah. came out yeah. like about six o'clock. Oh, the power's out at the marina. Hi, right, whatever. Mm-hmm. Hop in the truck, boom, boogieing on home, and it got dark. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you're just cruising down the the back highway, and all of a sudden, boom! <gasps> that was a that was a stoplight. It <laughs> was a light. Stoplight? I just buzzed right through that light. <laughs> Why weren't the street lights on? Oh, it must still be. And then all the way home, because I mean, it's like about an hour and a half yeah. trip down. I better start slowing down for the- And I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> there's no lights on here. Something's yeah. going on. But imagine- My phone didn't work. Oh, yeah, yeah. The cell tires would have been out. Yeah. So I, I get home and, and Tracy's like, well, here's what you missed. <laughs> so I just went back to the lake and kept on. <laughs> yeah. But I've heard so many stories of people who had been out- camping or whatever get back from camping and either the power's back on and they return it's like what's the big hubbub what are you guys all excited about what big blackout yeah i heard i heard oh it was a terrorist attack down in the states they hit a power thing a yep. power grid because and it knocked yeah. out all of north america because september 11 2001 but was just recent so it's still in people's minds they hit one power place 
Like not a power, not a nuclear power plant or mm-hmm. anything. So like a hub or power yeah. plant or whatever you want to station, yeah. whatever you want. They hit one of those and it knocked out power to the entire North America. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, I have to raise my hand and call BS <laughs> on that I know, one. Right? Yeah. <laughs> But nobody knew at the time either, yeah. right? Like, and they were also trying to blame Canada. Oh, you guys are not responsible for your power. And it's like, as it turns out, it was Ohio. Ohio yeah. power. Way to go, Ohio. They Way to go. Yeah, you didn't. owe me some burgers and a couple of steaks and a pot roast. Oh, yeah. Because like, my freezer. Anybody with freezers yeah. that went spent, right? well, it, depending, some people were only out for 24 hours or 12 hours or and other places were out like three, four days. Yeah. Yeah, we were only out for like a, a day and a half yeah. or something. We were pretty quick getting back on, but- um, like I know Tracy's parents, they were out for, and they had a big freezer. So we're taking all stuff from their freezers, bringing it down to throw into our freezer. And <laughs> it was like, oh. yeah. But I do remember the one benefit was when you're sitting in your backyard and you look straight up. Stars. The stars yes. you could see without light pollution. Yeah, because there's so much light pollution. You don't appreciate it until there is a blackout. Yeah. So that's something for everybody to to try is uh, next time there's a blackout, run outside and look up at the sky. I wonder if the aliens were looking at Earth going, oh, they all died. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, somebody's in trouble. Somebody's getting fired. Did Gorgon do something today? (laughs) Mothman. (laughs) Uh, And, oh, the other thing that's happened. Yes. uh, It's very tragic. uh, In Maui. uh, Is it Lahaina? Lahaina. Lahaina. So yeah, yeah Lahaina, fire. Maui, and and so I just one of the things that kind of was, was reading some stories, and they're saying that uh, it, it, it's tragic, it's very unfortunate, mm-hmm. and uh, people were escaping any means possible, and a lot of them were jumping into the ocean. They were on paddle boards or canoes or kayaks, and yeah. yeah. So it was, uh, but it, it's the the thing that's that's now as you know, they they you can't copy news and stuff anymore. Oh, on Facebook, on Facebook, yeah. So you go, you so you're not seeing all these things. So you go other places, and this is a good reason why. The conspiracy theorists. Oh, that's so crazy. They, they're blaming it on one of the politicians. They let it burn on purpose. Yeah. And, space uh, really? lasers. And there were space lasers yeah. involved. Oh, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The government, one of the ones I heard, the government needs that land. So there's a bunch oh, there's of, a, there's a bunch of open land in, yeah. in all across the, the Hawaiian Islands. But no, they wanted Lahaina. So the government burned the city so that they could build an installation. It's like, I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Anyway. Yeah. But hey, Woodstock and the blackout. Yes, exactly. Which many people did at Woodstock was blackout. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) They they were ready for the 2003 one. Uh, We were up at uh, Lake Traverse there camping. Oh, yes. uh, A couple weeks ago, as you know, with uh, took Athena for her first uh, trip. I think I made a quick mention of it, but I made a post on our Facebook and mm-hmm. all our social there about the bear cable we saw. So when we get there, there was a steel cable hung between two trees mm-hmm. and a sign saying, um, bear cable, hang your food here. Yeah. Sort of thing. Right. So basically we take our bear hanging rope or our, sorry, our bear hang cause we hang bears here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we hang bears we here. Have to, we have to protect the bears. So <laughs> we, we hang them on a wire at night. So the raccoons don't get them. <laughs> Snakes on the ground, the frogs. Yeah. We protect our bears by yeah. hanging them at night. Uh, when they get wet in the lake, we just hang up to yeah. dry. So that you take your food bag or barrel, whatever you yes. and hang it. Right. So I take my rope, throw it up over. Now I, now I use a pulley system, so a yeah. two-rope system. So it has a pulley. One rope has a pulley, and then the other rope goes through that. So I can hoist the pulley all the way up, tie mm-hmm. it off, and then I'm just yes. using the other rope to tie yeah. up, tie the food onto, and then hoist that up. So I'm not, if I don't have the cable, I'm I'm not destroying a tree limb because mm-hmm. you get that rope burn on the tree limb, hoisting it up and down, up and yeah. down, up and down, sort of thing. So I I posted this on our social media, plus a few like Ontario backcountry lovers Facebook page or something, solo solo canoe tripper page, uh, and a couple other paddling Mm -hmm. Facebook groups and stuff like that. Quite a variety of comments. Now, the one thing I will applaud is there's a bunch of different opinions. Yeah. But none of it turned into an argument, an argument or, or, a, or a crappy or... debate. 
Yeah. There there was many different types of opinions. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, most of them were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, everything great idea makes it easier to hang than trying to find a good tree branch. Uh, that is a benefit of the cable. You don't have to hunt for a good branch that is high enough, sticks out far enough, and is strong enough. Uh, prevents wear and tear on trees that get used over and over and over again. Um, then there was the you know the regular comments about hanging food bags doesn't make a difference. Other things, it's a great idea because there's you know all the people like don't you don't need to hang your food bag. <laughs> well, so people that's yeah. what I was taught at the beginning. I've been doing it for. Yep. X amount of years, so I just now it's just a habit, and I just do it, whatever. Uh, a few comments about other parts of the park, of Algonquin Park, that they've put the cables up as well along the Petawa River. I've right. seen them a few times. Yeah, uh, and apparently Massasauga Provincial Park has bear proof bear lockers. Yes, uh, food food yeah. lockers, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, our buddy Gary uh, Smith, um, waterfalls. He chases the waterfalls everywhere. Okay. Bears will start associating that, that spot or? with food. Yes, exactly. Which, yeah. Yeah. But my thing to that, and I fully agree with Gary on that, um, if the bears are going to come to the campsite, I would rather they're associating 100 meters away from camp with food. Yeah, that one spot. Yeah. My camp. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, it, it, nothing's going to be perfect, right? But uh, a lot of comments about bears walking a tightrope and bear <laughs> pinatas. <laughs> My favorite couple comments were, this is a scam perpetrated by the bears to get your food on a convenient cable. <laughs> and maybe the bears put up the cable and made the sign. Ah, you know what? <laughs> I think we're onto something here. So in Adventure Journal, yeah. there was a thing in the latest one about Lewis and Clark's expedition. <laughs> okay. And they said, so they found a bear wearing pants. For real, apparently. Mm-hmm. So that's like... The origins of Yogi Bear, which now, yeah. So it's, who put it's pants bad. on a bear? I don't know. You've never brought that that article. Yeah. Right? So you'll have to read up on find out what happened. <laughs> uh, the other one was the leave no trace. Um, yeah and no. Yes, because, you know, there's this cable and a sign stapled to a tree. Mm-hmm. So you're not really doing the, the leave no trace. But no, because, you know, this stops the branch, like I say, the other branches from various trees all over the area from being broken, and because some people throw their rope over, start hauling it up, and it just breaks. Yes, right? exactly. So, yeah. So you know, you're not walking around seeing all these damaged branches everywhere and broken ones on the ground, sort of deal. Heavily used areas like like Lake Travers and stuff like that. You know, you're never going to get 100% leave no trace. But things like this cable helps minimize the traces we are leaving. Yep. So, yeah, you know what? It's a fine edge, you know. Yeah. You, leave no trace. Exactly. No, leave no trace. You're, you're just trying to outweigh or weigh off the what kind of damage or what kind of lasting impact you're putting on the backcountry. And, you know, a thousand people putting a rope over an appropriate branch because I don't know how many times I've gone to a campsite. It's like, oh, that's a perfect branch. Ooh, boy, that's worn down. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. The one comment, though, that sort of sticks out is the, it's simple. Just keep your campsite clean. You know what? You, you really do don't that. have a clue, do yeah. you? You can do that yourself, but you but can't you, control. You don't know what people have done. And we've mm-hmm. been talking about that since last year. Yeah. Going in and and the campsite. You Just show trashed. up at the campsite. There's food everywhere. Right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, you can keep your campsite clean. No problem. And when the bear shows up because it's used to people before you. Yeah. A lot of good that's doing. Yeah. Anyway, everyone's entitled to their opinions on the cable, as far as I'm concerned. If there's one there at the site, I'm going to use it. Yeah. Right? Uh, You know, like I say, it's a a way to avoid potential damage to other trees and out of pure ease of hanging my food bag. Mm -hmm. Just throw that up there. Yeah, it is much easier. Less chance of getting your rope stuck in the top of the tree because there's a knot and it got stuck in the crotch of the tree you're trying to put it up into. and Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if you see one, use it. If you don't see one, your call. Yeah. Whether you hang food or don't hang food, your call. Yeah. 
But when that bear comes for you in the middle of the night, because mm. there was also the ones I used my food bag as a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of tongue-in-cheek yeah, ones too, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, and I, pre- I really, with my sense of humor, I really appreciate yeah. that. Um, I don't take that sort of, you know, I don't take that too seriously, but, yeah. you know, there's enough serious comments. Well, but, there's, uh, there's also the fact that, so this is what I always fall back on. It's like I hang my food. I do hang it when mm-hmm. I when I have the opportunity. And uh but I I unpackage the food, I cook the food, I eat the food. I smell like the food. So am I supposed to put myself up in the tree? Well, I know on our last trip <laughs> Siobhan had said, if you can hang them, <laughs> make sure you do it by the neck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, it's not going to be 100%. You Correct. do your best to eliminate whatever you can yeah. so, and, and take it from there. So the way I see it is like for the most part, what you, or in my opinion, what I'm protecting from is, is mice, squirrels, Raccoons. raccoons. So if it's a pinata up there, it's harder for these mice, squirrels, and raccoons to get at it. And that's 99% of the time is what's going to try and get at it. I've never seen a raccoon in the backcountry of Algonquin, ever. I have. I've seen him on Misty the Highway Lake? 60 corridor. We had to keep chasing off a raccoon on Misty Lake. Misty? I think it was Misty. Boy, he was persistent. See, that's when you just lure him into the food bag. <laughs> then back him and up. Just back him up. Anyway. <laughs> we'll let you out tomorrow when yeah. we leave. <laughs> you're, you're trying to get in anyway, yeah. so... Eh. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. No, you know, I know there has been people that are saying that, well, they've come across raccoons. Yeah. Ripping open their stuff and passing it down. We've had a mouse, or, or uh, sorry, a chipmunk chew a hole in a Tupperware container. Yeah, I've had that. <sighs> yeah. It's never going to be 100 Percent. Oh God, no! Right, so mm-hmm. you do what you can and stay away from do your my best and try not beer to feed the animals. and my cookies. Yeah, <laughs> stay away. Yeah, stay away from the chocolate and the beer. And- God. <laughs> uh, on to something else here. A forty-seven year old, a forty-seven year paddling trip. I know, boy. It took him a long time. Took to him a long time. So it seems every day, like I mean, these days everybody's trying to. You know, paddle these huge distances in the short amount of time as possible. Yeah. You know, there's there's been different people, wow, why don't you, like, stop and smell the flowers? And why are you trying to do that much, that fast? And that, 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 Everybody does things differently. That, 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 Let them do what they pants, want. I know. Right? You do you, boo. There you go. Lloyd Nelson. Needed Lloyd? something. Lloyd. Oh. Lloyd. First time I saw, I saw the name in print, but I didn't say it out loud. It sounds like Lord Nelson. Lord Lloyd Lord Nelson. Nelson. Uh, needed something different in his life, so he bought a canoe and set off to paddle the Columbia River, the entire Columbia River. That was in 1976 when he was 22. July 5th, 2023, the day Nelson turned 70, he finally finished the trip 47 years after he started. A lot of time on the river. I think he got <laughs> lost. <laughs> <laughs> he made a wrong turn. He got Albuquerque. lost. He got lost in a career, right? Uh, in the beginning, the idea started in 1975. He says, "I knew the lifestyle I had wasn't good." I wonder if he was at Woodstock. <laughs> uh, he studied oceanography at a community college in Astoria, where the Columbia River meets the Pacific Ocean. He says, "I studied the water as it went into the ocean. It's a vast river. I thought it'd be neat to experience where it came from." Columbia River is 1,245 miles long, drains from seven states and British Columbia. It starts in Canal Flats, 85 miles north of the border between Canada and Idaho, Montana. Uh, He chose a canoe for the adventures, and uh, he'd never canoed before. He (laughs) bought a canoe on a Tuesday. It was a Tuesday. On Wednesday, he got on the water with a book. On how to paddle strokes. <laughs> on Friday, he paddled from Albany to Salem. I uh, started his trip June 7th, 1976. For the first month, he was joined by his buddy. I think his buddy's name was Kevin Kenny. From Canal Flats, the river goes north 200 miles before turning south. As the flatness, Nelson said the river drops a mere 10 feet over 100 miles. One spot is divided into 10 channels. And he says, I had to try to gauge which channel had the most current. 
But the river wasn't always tranquil. After Golden, in uh, up here in Canada, he faced rapids. He'd canoe through rapids in uh, William, Willamette and Santiam rivers, but nothing like these. Uh, rapids go through a canyon, and with the river making multiple 90-degree turns. Oh, that sounds fun. Especially if you've never really I know, canoed, right? canoed before. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. We got into the rapids and they got bigger and bigger, he says. Once you got into those canyons, you're committed. There's no way out. He said they worked uh, to avoid whirlpools, some as wide as canoe's length of 18 feet, and encountered waves as tall as a door. A lot of people do these big expeditions on like 17, 18 foot canoes. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, we're like 15, 16 feet. Seems to be our... What well, I see everybody doing. Yeah. It's what, it'll have to ask, but... Uh, I know, mine's a 16-footer. I know Martin Garster, he did the... Some River at West. And they had a canoe covered with a tarp, and it was full-on white water, and yeah. I'm pretty sure they had an 18-footer. It was an 18-footer? I think so. Okay. I'll it was an expedition, you. right? They had a whole I'll bunch of... I'll believe you, but just this once. <laughs> Instead of going over the haystacks in the rapids, the canoe went under them. I had water up to my <laughs> armpits in the back of the canoe, and my companion was still covered with water. If we hadn't had a cover on the canoe, we would have been swamped. At one point, they stopped to bail 50 gallons of water out of the canoe. It took us a while to get the nerve to go back in, he says. Then came Lake Kimbasket. Behind the 625-foot-tall Micah Creek Dam, Lake was 85 miles long and a mile wide, uh, he got a ride around the dam. Then a local told him what lay ahead. Death rapids. <laughs> yeah, at that point, you you think you'd be... It's called what? Death rapids. <laughs> ah, I'm good. <laughs> at age 70, Nelson says he thinks back to that time when he was just turning 23. Stupid, young, nearly fearless, he says. Nearly fearless. Right? Death rapids had waves as tall as 12 feet. At one point, with the men out of the boat and trying to navigate it through with ropes, the canoe flipped and bounced against rocks, but none of the cargo was damaged and the boat was sound. He'd chosen a canoe over a kayak, he said, for the storage space to take canned food and camping supplies, and he fished along the way and remembers landing a 38-inch rainbow trout. That's a really big rainbow yeah. trout. I'm skeptical on that one. That's I'm not. Back then? That's a big... In the 70s? That's a huge trout. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Uh, he had no agenda, nowhere to be. He says, I went on for as long as I wanted, stayed as long as I wanted. He paddled every day except Sundays. Then when he reached uh, Roosevelt Lake behind Grand Coulee Dam, he ran out of money. Hmm. <laughs> Asked around and got a job running a combine. Because, you know... Everybody knows how to run a combine. <laughs> right. uh, in 10,000 acres of wheat for 21 days. Came out with more money than I had when I started the trip, he says. <laughs> then why didn't you just stop there and call it a day? I know. Holy cow. Yeah, got a ton of cash and I'm only great here. job. Well, it sounds like what you hear back in the Old West, right? You, people will just travel, work long enough to get more money to travel more. Or, yeah. You know. Uh, looking back, Nelson says he wasn't really happy with himself and remembered questioning quite a bit. Then he thought about all the challenges he'd survived along the way. I started reflecting on all the blessings I'd received, going through the rapids, around the dams, getting food when I needed it. And this is where, at Shulan Falls, the first part of his story ends. His canoe was stolen. How do you forgive someone for stealing everything you have, he says. Hmm. And three days later, he attended a talk by a chiropractor. Because, you know, Why not? that's what they do. I'm, I'm, Why not? I need a place to sit. I got nothing. I yeah. <laughs> uh, felt called to pursue a career in that field, and he still owns the practice in Baker City today. <laughs> His trip in October 1976 was over after 700 miles on the water, his canoe was recovered, but all his supplies were gone. He went on to get married, start a family, and begin working as a chiropractor. So he studied he studied oceanography? Yeah. <laughs> and then just on a lark after three days, you know, just on a single afternoon, it's like, hey, yeah, this chiropractor guy is talking about something. Yeah. Oh, I think I'll be a chiropractor. I think I'll be a chiropractor. This is what now. I'm going to do for the rest of my yeah. life. Yeah. 
<laughs> He's better than an oceanographer, I guess. Nice, I guess. But the Columbia still called. Eight years ago, he decided to finish that trip. Since 2016, he spent every 4th of July weekend on the Columbia River. This time, he chose a kayak to replace the canoe. But if you're only there for a few days every yeah. year. Eh. Once, once a year, three days. Yeah. He'd spend about four days at a time marking off miles on the Columbia River with his wife, Janice, driving along as support. He started in Chelan and uh, picking up where he left off in 1976. By the numbers, he completed 700 miles over four months in 1976. And from 2016 to 2023, he paddled 545 miles in a total of 31 days. Hmm. River had changed over the decades, he says, especially with more homes lining the shore. For the last few years, he dedicated a week to the kayak trip. Wind, he said, is not his friend. Yes. Where have I heard that before? <laughs> Let me think on that a moment. <laughs> uh, at one point, he only went nine miles in five and a half hours. He counted 13,725 paddle strokes. I can't count paddle strokes. Yeah, I do occasionally. I just do it for gaps. So if I'm crossing from one headland to another, it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to count, keep my mind on something because we're in big open water and I'm just going to see, oh, look at that. It took 2,500 strokes to get across this big opening. Oh, not me. If I'm counting strokes, one, two, three. Oh, look at that squirrel over there. <laughs> <laughs> squirrel, bird. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he said, I have to get, I had to get my mind off the wind. And he says, I thought he was lost, Janice says. Although they had cell phones, many spots along the river didn't have service. So she spent many hours waiting and wondering until she saw the kayak pull near. He disliked the wind so much that for two years he ran the river backwards. <laughs> meaning that he could go with the wind. So it's not like you're going from point A to point B backwards. You're going from point B back to point A frontwards. Because if that worked, everybody would be doing it. <laughs> so basically he's back paddling down he's the river. back paddling down the river to null and void the wind. Uh, so this year, 2023, he arrived in Astoria on his birthday of July, uh, along with two brothers and his son. This time, Janice could keep tabs on the progress. She put an app on his phone so I could track him. Hmm. <laughs> she hasn't taken it off yet. Yes. <laughs> uh, and wind, his nemesis for so many miles, disappeared on the last two nice. days. It was just glassy, he said. The wind had been my adversary the whole trip. He doesn't yet know what he'll be doing on next 4th of July, because he's been doing this since 2016, yeah. right? And as for his kayak... Giving it away, he says. <laughs> my tailbone is so sore. <laughs> it's tough sitting in a kayak. My yeah. lower back always hurts me. You know what? My thing is with a kayak, like I, I, I go up my kayak when I can, but you have to sit there with your legs straight out. Mm. Whereas a canoe, my legs go everywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can you move know, around, like shift. They're, they're, and, yeah, yeah, they're straight. They're both underneath the seat. One's straight, one's bent. One's hanging over the side. Like, <laughs> But with the, with the kayak... They're always straight out. Yeah. And there's not much room to you're be You're stuck in a around. position. Yeah. Your feet are on the pedals and yeah, it's. Yeah. So <laughs> Lloyd, I feel your pain, buddy. Yeah. 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 So that's pretty cool though. After 47 years. Yeah. That's impressive that he uh, would choose to do that. Finish his trip. It's, it's unfortunate. Like I can't imagine the, the insult to, to have uh, your canoe and all of your gear. Stolen. Stolen. Somebody took the entire thing. That's happened to Kevin Callan before. Seriously? They well, they didn't take his canoe, but they told they they stole some of his gear. Huh? Right out of his canoe. I guess where he's going back for a shuttle or whatever. Oh yeah. And he came back, and somebody stole a bunch of gear. Really? Yeah. Hmm. It happens. They're out there. Hmm. So what are you going to do? But so. you don't expect it for people, other people in the backcountry, right? Yeah. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> That's all I can think of. Uh, so good on you, uh, Lloyd. Nice to hear that you actually finished your journey. And Yes. Very impressive. Yeah. Maybe you'll figure out another one to take now. Mm -hmm. Now that you're in the swing of it. Well, he's got to figure out what he's going to do in 2024 for, uh, right. for get, Independence Day. Get whatever. yourself a... Um, long weekend. Yeah, the 4th of July. Get yourself a canoe and... 
Go paddle another river. Yeah. Right? <laughs> dun, dun. The Amazon. Do the Amazon. There you go. Uh, this one here. Two <laughs> men in yes. Kelowna, BC, are in jail cells. Yes. After RCMP. Baffling. Yeah. RCMP received a report of kayakers that were grossly intoxicated on Wood Lake with one man passed out <laughs> in his... Like, <laughs> how much have you drank? Like, what is going on? If you're in your kayak, passed out. Yeah. The other kayaker attempted to intervene when bystanders were taking the man to shore and he fell off his own kayak several times. <laughs> so that just shows you the level of intoxication yeah. right there, which, why? That's mind-boggling. Like, water is, is, being on the water is dangerous enough when you're sober. Aha. Uh-huh. Like, why do you want to mix it up with alcohol? That's so Oh, crazy. it gets better. Uh, both men then went back out onto the lake a short time later, then into Kalamalka Lake, before beaching where officers were waiting. <laughs> We've been waiting for you, too. The men were arrested for being impaired while operating a conveyance as they were staggering towards their cars with the kayaks. Yeah. So, so if you're taking your kayak back to your car... Are you planning on driving? Right. You assume they you were. You know that's what's going to happen. You assume oh. you're taking, oh, taking our kayaks back in the car. Where are you guys going? So... Police say both men were fortunate to have not fallen off their boats in either lake as they were not wearing the life jackets that were on board. Well, at least they had life jackets. It's just they weren't wearing them and they were intoxicated. Oh, that, I'm sorry. That's called, there, there's got to be another level Darwin. above intoxicated at that point. <laughs> you know, that's like uh, Gabriel Iglesias. Fluffy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They're the fluffy version there. Yeah. That's crazy. That's just crazy. I mean. So, <laughs> so we're headed for their car. Oh, we're done paddling now. It's like we're going to go drive. Ah, sounds... sounds. They did, did they say age? Did they give an age? No. Huh. Sounds legit. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. I was... Uh, <laughs> yeah, things like that just boggle the mind. Uh, I was doing some scrolling. Some searching, some researching, some reading, some hitting a bunch of the regular sites. And I ended up over on Gear Junkie checking out some gear. And I came across an interesting article. We've sort of taught, we talk about this sort of thing at times. Uh, the article was by Seji Ishii of Gear Junkie. So he's wrote this thing. It was supposed to be a blog, but then he turned it into this article. No risk, no reward. It isn't an adventure until something goes wrong. Go big or go home. Those are the mantras of youth. Or maybe not. Mm-hmm. How many times have we said that? I've, I don't think I've ever said no risk, no reward. Mm. But I've said it's not an adventure until something goes wrong. And go big or go, big or go home, I've said I don't yeah. know how many times. And the one we always jokingly say, safety third. Yes, yes, yes. Right? Yeah. Jokingly. Yes. After a lifetime of what most would label risky outdoor endeavors, it caught up to me as I rounded the corner into midlife. The next few years involved 12 surgeries, a divorce, child custody battle, and a near total financial catastrophe, all from the crossing of risk and consequence. There's that fine line, right? Mm-hmm. I believe our society and culture reward taking risks, and I applaud that. It's easy to see in sports, but these stories are curated, and we rarely see the negative totality of assuming risks that don't produce rewards. You only see the good bits. Yeah. Right? When you don't see what happens. When people's career goes sideways due to an injury or a death or whatever, like, yeah. well, I guess death is a yeah. stopping of a career. But you know what I mean? Like, it's you, just, you don't hear often hear about those stories. The consequences to risk are inescapable, no matter how much we bury them behind a stone wall of success stories. So, you know, like I say, for every 10 guys going over a waterfall, Mm-hmm. There's that one that didn't yeah, quite make it. Exactly. Uh, he says, this blog was initially written selfishly as a therapy to guide me through my life's most challenging and darkest period. 
fair warning, this is a deeply personal story with some sad bits. But there is a message that I feel applies to much of the outdoor audience, and there is a resolution. My only hope is that it helps at least one person in their time in need. Now, he's into the biking, the rock climbing, the dirt biking, and that. But this could be kayakers, canoe trippers. Could be anything. You know, it could be any of these sports. Alex Honold, the famous rock climbing free solo. Now, when I used to be into rock climbing, I used to look at these guys and like, yeah, there's... It's more than I'm willing. There's some, some places I will climb that, you know, some people won't. But then I look at these guys free soloing, and I'm just like, yeah, that's not yeah, that will yeah. never ever be me. <laughs> I'm going to free climb to the top of my porch. <laughs> <laughs> Even then, it's sketchy <laughs> on a ladder. <laughs> uh, he speaks eloquently about distinguishing risk and consequence. In his word, the risk is a probability that something terrible may happen, and the consequence is the result of that horrible thing happening. He can remain calm while executing his death-defying climbs because he can keep risk and consequence separate and in perspective. The risk of him falling off of a climb that is well below his limits is low, but the consequence is high death. He has faith in his ability to climb the relatively easy route. He understands, as we as we do, driving down a highway in 70-mile-per-hour traffic, that the risk of something going awry is low. Uh, he is keenly aware that the consequence of an error is extremely grim, but keeps the perspective clear, just as we do driving on a freeway. So you know your abilities. Yes. And if you're doing something, you're able to do this. If you're able to jump five feet, yeah. then jumping two feet is... Is nothing. Is nothing. Yeah. That's well into your... But when you try to jump seven feet, yeah. that risk consequence. And, and I think also it's it comes down to perception. Some people feel they have more ability than they actually have. Mm-hmm. Or they don't really appreciate the consequences of the risk. So, hey, this is this thunderstorm would be great to be out on a lake in that. You know what I mean? And, like, so you're you're yeah. misjudging consequences of of the risk that you're taking. And some people don't take in, uh, into account unexpected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Do you have backups? Do you have you know what's your backup plan? What what might like if you're zipping all along at at seventy miles an hour, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you blow a tire. Yeah, yeah. That's unexpected. Or a deer jumps in front of you. Or a deer jumps in front of you. That just totally changes the situation completely. How can we drive at speeds that could kill us while remaining worry-free? Because driving on a highway at appropriate speeds is well within our capabilities. So low on the ability scale that we can sing along to a song or carry on a conversation. We know the potential consequence and see it in the news, but we bank on the relatively low risk of driving. Mm-hmm. Okay. Totally. Yeah, yeah. And, and like I say, I mean, when you're thinking about, you know, I see, you see a rapid. Oh, that's, that's a class nothing. one. That's yeah. nothing. But then you go, oh, that's a class five. Yeah. I th- around the corner. Yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't scope this out. I didn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm taking the portage on this. Yeah, building, yeah, yeah. Right. So it's, it's all the, the, the risk and your yeah. ability. It is difficult for many to keep risk separated from consequence when the latter is so visible and stark. Mesmerizing draw of consequences is why people may be scared of heights. The odds of a high-rise rooftop balcony collapsing are minuscule to zero, but fear paralyzes some. Maybe some transfer uh, this inability to avoid consequent fixation into their judgments of others. Perhaps we do that to ourselves. These obvious consequences can attract action sports enthusiasts, but any daredevil moniker is unfitting if the actual risk is low. Low risk is low risk, no matter the consequence. So if you're used to doing class five rapids mm-hmm. and someone's, oh, you're a daredevil. No, I can do class five rapids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Right? I do 150 foot waterfalls. Right. Class five rapids. Yeah, I'm not a daredevil. I do... Now, if I go to that 200-foot waterfall, that's <laughs> ah, something different. But this 100-foot waterfall, yeah. I do I do these backwards yeah. in my sleep on middle of the night. 
while climbing a partner postulated that I was making bad choices at this juncture in my life by continuing my ways of recreating. Later, the same climber engulfed a plate of fried everything, washed it down with multiple alcoholic drinks. Fun times for sure, but it made me think certain long-term lifestyle behaviors like diet and heavy drinking are proven to cause increased mortality. Then there are the adrenaline junkies. High consequences sometimes crush those that fall victim to whatever level of risk they accept, and it's sudden. Everything is really fun until it's instantly not fun. No gradual decline, no middle ground, suddenly you fall off the cliff. So unlike, you know, oh yeah, I'm building up my heart, it's not, not have the energy, and then, oh, I have a heart attack, and you know, that <laughs> gradual yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah. If you're free soloing, and then you lose your grip. Yeah, yeah. It's Boom. instant. Yeah. It's instant, instant consequence. Mm-hmm. Not drawn out over time by, yeah. by snarfing down fries and burgers. Imagine a line graph. The line is life. The area under the curve is how much living is in that life. For those engaged in a bad lifestyle habits but not partaking in risky adventures... The line gradually slopes downward toward uh, until death. So those are the people eating the burgers and that. Yeah. You're slowly a killing yourself. Yeah. Now imagine the same graph for a healthy adrenaline junkie. The line travels horizontally until it instantly drops, producing a rectangle. The safe gradual decline versus the unsafe instant drop, but both lines end in the same place. Maybe the first line is longer, but it's, uh, but is that what matters? The square offline has more area under the curve at any point along the horizontal axis as long as it isn't at zero. Do you want the long line or do you want more area under the curve? I like that statement. It, it, yeah, it, it, it all comes it down to... It tells a big story. What that do you want one statement tells a big story. Uh, thoughts like these rambled in my mind frequently over the last decade... I ran into a cow on an adventure bike in Baja in fourth gear almost 10 years ago. It stood in the mixture of dust and low angle in my face sunlight. So he's boogieing around. There's the sun's right in his eyes. It's all dusty. Boom, cow. (laughs) That was fun up until it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Right? Year later, although I summited... I took extreme risks climbing the north ridge of Mount Baker with an injured ankle. I nearly slipped off a steep slope covered in hard ice because I couldn't load my ankle enough to get all my crampon points in. There you go. That's the risk. Are you going to risk keep going with the sore, the, the, the sore ankle and maybe suffer the consequences? Or do you call it a day and turn around? I was uh, on a solo trip one year supposed to be no weather and then an ice storm blew in oh and by the time i got to the dock i was i i had like a suit of armor of ice on the front of me because the the ice was just hitting and staying Mm -hmm. and i was if i would have continued i would have frozen yeah everything i had was soaked the everything i had was covered in ice Hmm. you make the decision do you want to keep going and maybe freeze to death hypothermia but you had a dock to get to in your car as opposed to... I had I had a few portages gonna... and a few lakes, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, I knew I'd be in my, my truck and yeah. hammering that heat so fast. Mm-hmm. I could get out of my wet clothes because I always store an extra set of clothes in my truck on my yeah. for, for the drive home. But at least I knew at that point, okay, I've got an out. And I'm not going to sit here yeah. at the end of October in an ice storm and rain mm-hmm. and potential snow coming <laughs> and totally soaked yeah that's just not so do you want to risk that or not and that's exactly what he's going what he's getting at yeah uh in 2018 i climbed bridal veil falls an ice climb in valdez alaska narrowly avoiding a frozen demise due to rope mismanagement mishap the trickle of events that led to a near disaster is mind-boggling If the momentum had continued, my partner would have been dead at the bottom and I would have frozen to death at the top. Yeah. 
few months later, I crashed while dirt biking, resulting in 11 knee procedures plus two staph infections and a wrist reconstruction. Pain was extreme at times, the worst I'd have ever felt, and I was unsure if I could ever hike, cycle, climb, or test gear, and how would I support my family? I had visions of myself sitting inside, hearing my daughter laugh and play outside, jobless and unable to participate. Nightmares that I was a dog at the end of its day, scurrying from a mountain town in search of somewhere to die, woke me frequently. Well. These aren't the sum of the consequences of the risk of riding a dirt bike that day. The dirt biking accident caused tremendous physical trauma, but these were pale against the consequences to my family and mental health. While learning to walk again, my wife of 18 years handed me divorce papers. Although my risky behavior was not the only cause, it significantly influenced her decision to dissolve our family tree. Family of three. Uh, Sorry, family of three. Divorce papers outlined that I could only have three hours of supervised visitation per week uh, with my then six-year-old daughter. My wife indicated that my reckless behavior, which included climbing, dirt biking, and bicycle racing, was unsafe for our daughter. What followed was a very dark period with no family to help me. I relied heavily on my friends. The very same friends assumed uh, the risks with me while climbing, racing bicycles, and riding dirt bikes. We high-fived each other when we succeeded with a daring deed, and then consoled and visited each other in the hospital when things went south. We took care of each other's homes and kids when someone was on injured reserve. This isn't an editorial generated by sitting on the fence and merely observing. I lived the consequences of the risk I took. All of them, right down to the potential loss of my family, physical abilities, job, and home and the possibility of losing my life. So what drives certain people to know to throw themselves into the void, especially when the consequences are heinous and obvious? Mm-hmm. I mean, we look at, I mean, we, we get told, oh, you go out on canoe trips by yourself. You go on a solo yeah, yeah, canoe yeah. trip I've, for I've, a week and a half. I've had that. What are you thinking? It's dangerous. Yeah. You're out there alone. Yeah. You know what? I mean, you, what, what's, I paddle differently when I'm with somebody or alone. Yes. I take a lot fewer risks when I'm solo camping. Uh, I I gauge the day. I make sure I'm in early. I make sure that I don't do too much strenuous work and yada, yada, yada. So I I do do things differently. And then Mm -hmm. when somebody's with me, then I, I maybe I'll push harder and push longer. And, you know, it's, it's, it's different. The The mental model is different. But it's all way you. It's all ways. You know the dangers. You know the risks. And if you take calculated risks and being smart about it, then right. Mm-hmm. It's all how you manage your risk. Yes. So your if you know your ability of canoe tripping is up here, yeah. And on a solo one, you put your risks down you here, down sixty percent. You know. Then you, yeah, you're you're yeah. at forty fifty percent of your regular yeah. risks you would take. Exactly. Then the consequences. Your chances of those big consequences are also less. The consequences are still there, but you're you're, you're yeah. mitigating it by being more cautious. So, I mean, my whole thing, because health and safety at work, you go through and you try to get rid of all the potential things that could happen. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I always say an accident is called an accident for a reason. Mm-hmm. They are going to happen. You just have to mitigate the consequences. You just have to do as much as you can to make sure the big things don't happen. But, you know, somebody's going to trip over something. Somebody's going to slice their finger open. It happens. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to come up. We're going to come across a bear on a portage. Yes. A bear may come into the campsite. You may be paddling across and and a moose cuts in front of you on a river. Yeah. There's all these potential things that could happen. You got to minimize what you can because you can't control everything. Uh, Mackenzie Steiner. Uh, oh, wait a minute. I missed something here. Uh, yeah. So what, you know, f- makes people do this? Some researchers argue that people engage in those potentially dangerous behaviors because of long-term neg- negative consequences of those behaviors are outweighed in their minds by the short-term positive consequences that they produce. Simply put, some need instant gratification. These people may chase the endorphin high, the adulation of friends, or the bolstering of self-confidence with little regard to effects far down the road. 
Mackenzie Steiner, a climbing friend of over 25 years and a psychologist who served veterans through the VA for 20 years, studied risk-taking behavior in graduate school for nearly eight years. She added, what stands out most from the research over the years is the relationship between the trait of impulsivity or the jump first, think later principle. Like the people, you're on a canoe trip, you climb up on rocks to get a good view, and so you go, I'm diving because our canoes are down there. Yeah, uh, we you're don't not know quite sure how deep is. that water is, right? <laughs> there could be a dead tree under there. Knock on wood, I've never come across somebody find out it was too shallow. Some peg a larger appetite for risk to genetics. It is strange to me to think that being more prone to risky behavior is inheritable. But a 12,675 person study conducted at Penn, Penn's Wharton School found a connection between genes lower levels of gray matter, and risky behavior. <laughs> dumb people do dumb things. <laughs> Darwin's award. That's a polite way of saying that. Yeah. Uh, Steiner, who is uh, no stranger to trauma, added, an often overlooked reason came from examining my own risk-taking habits as well as those of the countless veterans I served while working at the VA. I came to recognize that some portion of us who keep going back to putting ourselves on the proverbial knife's edge are running from the impacts of trauma. Trauma has a way of creating what I refer to as emotional background noise. And one of the ways we can get away from it is to crank up the volume to drown it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have something in the back of your head constantly, if you keep the noise up, crank the volume that, that wheel bearing is going in the car i better turn the volume up so i don't know right. I don't, I, i'm no longer familiar with the uh, that noisy wheel bearing that's about to fail uh, if you had a similar childhood and your path parallels mine please know you are not alone this is what uh, he says about 18 months after the accident i rode an adventure bike again after the first day of being scared out of my mind for my knee it all came surging back the exhilaration of being at speed over rough terrain, the feeling of nailing a turn exit, the connection to a machine where I knew which way it would bounce. All of it hit me that second day out and I wasn't scared and I didn't let off the gas for fear of anything. I certainly knew the consequences of traveling at speed over rough and sometimes unpredictable terrain and I accepted them again and will continue to do so, whether dirt biking, climbing or cycling. I vote for the area under the curve. I couldn't care less about the length of the line. There you go. That's, I mean, you've got to make up your, your mind at that point, which you're... Yeah, you're choosing potentially over quantity. Yeah. Uh, I'm five years down the line now, and I'm back to doing all the things. But during this period, I've lost quite a few friends who are doing these things. They died. Uh, and I momentarily wonder when I receive the sad news. When when are people going to hear about me? Right? Uh, when I was younger and not as aware of the consequences of my action, I often pursued activities and objectives that were high risk and high consequence. I got away with this position in the risk consequence matrix for a long time. I didn't suffer any real personal loss until my motorcycle accident. And, and you know what? That's... You're going down rapids, no problem all the time. And then that one day you hit a rapid wrong mm -hmm. and you crack your skull off of a rock and yep. pass out. Yep. And then you got buddies, hopefully, that are there to haul you out. Mm -hmm. Until that happens, you don't really put any stock into the, the no, consequence. No, exactly. You've yep. never suffered that high consequence. But it only takes a second. Uh, in the last few years, as I've absorbed such losses and feel the impact my actions have on those around me, I've gradually drifted towards activities of, that bring fewer risks and lower consequences. But I'm certain I'll never land in the low-risk, low-consequence quadrant. To me, that is only existing and not living. Until I'm physically unable, I live for the area under the curve, not the curve itself. I found that very interesting it article. Was, yeah. Because I just think, I mean, I watch all these, like, guys going over the waterfalls in the kayaks, and they're, they're doing these massive rapids in the, mm -hmm. in, in, in the, the, you know, gorges and stuff like that going down. You know, if they go over or something like that. We've seen a couple of them where the guys are dragging out their friends and having to resuscitate them and airlift them out of a canyon. 
because they've done all these things and it can happen. Yes. You know, you, you just start seeing these things like, and start relating. Well, what happens if I'm on a solo trip and don't come home? You know, because something happened. I, I did something stupid. I thought, oh, I'm just going to go climb up that cliff and then jump off for a <laughs> swim because it's so hot out here. Yeah. And then Tracy's sitting at home wondering, Sean was supposed to be home two days ago. And no one knows. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, and then there are some people who have this, I, I, I some just, I don't it's got to be a disorder, but some people take these grand risks for silly reasons. Uh, I used to know a guy, he, he jumped trains, he dirt biked, he jumped off things, he just did weird stuff, he did parkour. It's like, man, that guy's taken awfully huge risks. Right. And it doesn't, he's not, the, the reward doesn't seem to be there except for that initial rush. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's never appealed to me. It's like, ah, I don't know. Like, I, I I appreciate the risk that I do take, but I'm not going to overdo it. No, no. Um, with some of the guys I was rock climbing with, if I had continued with those guys, mm-hmm. uh, like there was a point where I sliced my hand open. On a, on a climb. Oh. And I should have got stitches. Yeah. But instead, I just took some of the chalk from my thing, covered the the cut. Yeah. Taped it up and continued going for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, you look back thinking, well, uh, young, dumb, <laughs> stupid, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, that could have turned into a massive infection. Or you could have slipped because of slipped the because wet hand. Of it, right. Um, and I know I, when I was with certain guys, I took bigger risks, mm-hmm. right? Sort of to, not really to, to be macho or anything, but just we all sort of pushed each other. Yes. Push you right? do more and better yeah. and higher and yeah, bigger, faster, and, yeah. you know, that sort of deal. And you push each other. And I know if I would have kept those guys that potentially would have, mm-hmm. there's a potential, you yeah. know, that we wouldn't be talking right now, mm-hmm. you know, or that I would have said, yeah, I lost a buddy. Yeah, yeah exactly. you know we were we were out climbing one day and boom yeah. down he went sort of deal, um, but you have to manage those risks. You have to start to think at the end of the day. Yeah, I don't want, you know, he he's sort of saying, well, you know, there's the straight line straight across, and then, <laughs> yeah, and then there's his buddies who are sucking back the burgers, and it's a long, yeah. slow death. Well, there is a medium, like a compromise between there the two as well, exactly. Right? Like he doesn't so, get into that part. He's probably never going to sit in an old age home and and have Alzheimer's or something. He'll probably die at some relatively young age. Right. But then he won't have to face the Alzheimer's in the old age home. Right. Whereas me. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'll be it's in the hit or miss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there is the third one, which he really he's he's talking about the left side, the right side of the spectrum. But there is a a middle ground too. I think where the line's not as steep. And it isn't straight across either. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think I'm somewhere in the middle. In the middle Me too. there. You know, there's times where I'm going to take risks for things and there's other times where I'm just like, eh. But again, it's all weighed with who I'm with and yep. and, and what I'm doing, right? So very interesting article, I thought. Very, mm-hmm. very interesting. So uh and that's all I've got this week. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh you got anything else? Have we been an hour? I lost track yeah, of time. It's been like an hour already. <laughs> yeah, that was a. I just got right that, into that, that article. One, that, that article is very interesting because was... I can picture that in so. Like I say, with with the with the stuff I watch on YouTube with these guys paddling and mm-hmm. the waterfalls and the rapids and and I mean even talking about Jim Baird going on these massive trips and mm-hmm. West Hanson right now doing the the uh, Northwest oh, Passage. Yes, the exactly. number of things that could go wrong. Mm-hmm. The number of ways you, what was that movie, uh, 100 Ways to Die in the West? Oh, I love that one. <laughs> you know, like there's so many things. I, I just started reading it. And I'm thinking like, this is spot on. Mm-hmm. You know, there you, you got a couple of ways. And if you want to go full tilt. Yeah. Enjoy the space under the curve. Enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> right? As they say. So, Not the fall that kills you. It's the landing. Yeah. Stick the landing. <laughs> yeah. It's not the fall. It's gravity that's getting you. Uh, yeah. Anything else? I do not. That's it? Mm-hmm. Really? <laughs> woot, woot. All righty. Uh, well, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, you can download our, str- or, or stream episodes 
at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. Or you can just go to paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can go to the episode page there and you can stream or download all 391 episodes. 391. It's crazy, eh? We're getting to 400 pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, we got to start planning for that. Right? Yeah. Line, Four double O. Have to line people up and line them up. <laughs> it's an episode. It's line. not a shooting <laughs> interviews. <laughs> I, <coughs> if you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.